It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest today is Paul Blanco, founder and CEO of Barnum Financial Group. Barnum is an award-winning provider of comprehensive personalized planning, investment and protection solutions, and financial literacy programs to clients across the USA. Throughout his career, Paul has been a tireless advocate for his firm and the communities it serves. He began his career at MetLife as a financial services representative back in 1991, and in just two years, he moved into management taking over a seven-person MetLife office in Trumbull, Connecticut. Today, Barnum has over 20 offices in Connecticut, New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, and Rhode Island, and he has worked at Barnum for his entire career. Paul is passionate in his belief that having well-trained and credentialed professionals providing personal and financial advice and strategies can have a major impact on the lives of individuals and their families. And Paul shares his dadisms with all that will listen as part of that training. Paul Blanco, welcome into the corner office. Thanks, Brent. Pleasure to be here today. Oh, great to have you here. Great to have somebody who's just down the road. I'm, I'm recording yes. this up in New Haven at my place, and I know you're uh, down in Shelton today. And uh, you know, we've got so many different CEOs across the country. It's it's great to be able to have someone I can talk to, and and the weather's the same outside. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and it Paul actually, is certainly follows it here, has it? <laughs> yes, and it actually uh, it actually a little dark here right now, so I'll yeah. be interested to see what the the day handles. But I had a business lunch and dinner yesterday, and both of them I ended up having outside because it was so nice. It was so, nice, uh, yeah, yeah. I yeah. ate down in Milford last night. It was it was gorgeous, and you know it's just amazing. Uh, I, one of the things I love about me, being a West Coaster, one of the things I love about the East Coast is those change of seasons. September 22nd, it was like you flipped a switch, right? Yes. All of a sudden, it was fall. And uh, people are complaining, and, oh, the summer's gone. I'm saying, ah, come on. The fall is one of the best times of year here. So, well, listen, uh, want to hear a little bit about you and, of course, uh, learn a lot about Barnum Financial. But let, let's start with you in the early years. Tell us a little bit about, you know, early family life where you grew up, you know, what mom and dad did. Yeah, sure. So, uh, born and raised in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. New York. Couldn't tell by the accent, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it mostly comes out when I get really excited. So, uh, um, but born and raised in Brooklyn, um, one of two. I have a brother who's right. actually in the business. Ah, he's an awesome. he's an advisor here at Barnum, and awesome. I'll I'll probably touch on that story. I'm sure at some point. younger brother, through, older brother, younger, younger through the okay. interview. Yeah. Um, but born and raised in Brooklyn, 
uh, grew up, you know, mom and dad. Dad was by far my best friend. Mm, cool. Mom was probably the person I leaned on the mo- most for everything. Yeah. You know, um, I would say that um, my dad drove a concrete truck for most of his life. Blue car. Got yeah. yeah, got disabled when he was like 39 years old with an aneurysm. Um, so didn't really, he just did odd end jobs after yeah. that. Mom worked two, three jobs her whole life wow. to make sure that, you know, she Family could, yeah. you got it. They live to, uh, they live to give their children an opportunity wow. to have a better life than that. Wow. American dream. Love yes. It. Great. And Brooklyn, your whole life grew up with school there and so forth. Uh, yeah, I went to, so yep. Catholic school my whole yeah. life. Right. Um, right. I would say that um, I was a kid that um, loved being in a neighborhood. Hundreds of kids on the street um, played all kinds of sports growing Stick up ball. as a kid. Stickball, <laughs> wiffle ball, manhunt, football, um, so many great things. You know, we doesn't sound we, like a lot of time for studies. How was your schoolwork? No, not good. <laughs> um, uh, I knew you were going to go there, but it's, it, it's interesting you know, got my degree, ended up going to St. Francis College, yeah. played four That's years cool. Division One baseball, awesome. got my degree in business, but people always say, what did you major in? And I said baseball, but um, <laughs> was a good good high school athlete in, you know, two sports, baseball and football. Yeah. Um, and I actually think that when you think of those formative years of your life, um, my dad and lots of coaches yeah. really helped shape me to the person I was with mm. the drive and the discipline and I think athletics played a massive part of my life with that. What were some of the earlier memories from dad, you know, the, the hard work and so forth, his, his work ethic? Yeah, so um, him personally, you know, he got up ultra early, went yeah. to work. I was an early bird. I'm still an early bird. So I used to see him off in the morning. Wow. Um, you know, the the best thing was that I get, and as you become a parent, you know, I have three children of my own, right. but my dad would go out at 5.30 in the morning. He would wow. get home at, say, 3, and I'd be waiting on the front stoop of the yeah. house with a bucket of baseballs and <laughs> say, let's let's, <laughs> let's go to the park. Let's go catch. Yeah. Right? You know, no, we would go to the park. Oh, and, and go I, hit. Yeah. And right. I would hit, and right. then we'd pick up the 50 balls and do it again, and the guy hasn't sat down. He hadn't eaten, but he never said no. Mm. And wow. That was really, you know, a great lesson yeah. that he, you know, that was his thing. And then the the drives to the game, he was very wise. Um, so a lot of, I have, I call them dadisms. I use them every day with my people. And, <laughs> Shares uh, a couple. Yeah. So I just think that um, those are great times. Yeah. Yeah. What were some of the dadisms that you remember most? If you, you know, any Yeah. So. Like, I'll give you a couple of quick ones. So one was I was short and, you know, I'm five foot eight on a good day. And, you know, when I played sports, it was running backs. I was a running back or six, six, one, six, two, you know, the Eric Dickinson's and the Herschel Walker's and the, um, you know, Marcus Allen's. And today, today I'm the prototypical running back body, right? Five, eight, you know, one, one ninety five. And then I played center field. Same thing. And he would always say, you know, everyone puts their pants on the same way, one, <laughs> one, one leg, leg at, at a time, time right? <laughs> or they, he would say that, you know, why everyone's sleeping, if you're working, 
you'll you'll just continue to get better or I love yeah. this one. You know, I was probably like maybe 15 and I played double headers every Saturday and Sunday and all mm. my friends are going to the beach. And you know, I'm a good high school player already and I'm like I maybe I'm just going to play on Sundays this summer. And he said, no problem. He said, if that's what you want to do. Mm-hmm. But then he told me the story about when you hit a peak, the only thing that's next is a valley. Mm. And, you know, he said, you might just work on, you know, getting a better lead and a better jump on a steal or bunting. And, you know, you'll be a better high school player and that will get you to all city. And right. I'm like, oh, right. guess I'm, I guess I'm not going <laughs> go to the, I guess I'm not going to the beach. You know? Sound advice. Right. But, but I think that, um, as a parent, there was no nothing that he wouldn't say. And his sarcasm, which I ended up carrying into my life, <laughs> um, was amazing. Meaning, you know, and, and remember, though, Brent, some people don't handle that well. You that's have right. to know your audience. Yeah, and that's right. That's right. I think that the one thing that he did was he didn't care who his audience was. <laughs> so you either had to love it or not. As I learned later... I had a, a a coach that I played for that helped me a lot with business was, you know, if you know everyone's MO, you then could be sarcastic, but in a different way to each person mm. or lead yeah. them a different right. way. And my right. dad didn't get that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The sensitivities. Yeah. Yes. That's so important. What yeah. about entrepreneurial things? You know, we'll, we'll talk about Barnum, you know, in a minute yeah. and the, the incredible job you've done there. But in the nice. early days, did you have the paper route? Did you do the, you know, the odd jobs around town for spending money? What, what, you know, any entrepreneurial tendencies early on? Yeah. So, um, yes and no. Um, they, you know, as an athlete, yeah, he, sports took a lot we, of your time. Yeah. yeah. We had no money, but my dad yeah. would always say to me, like, I'll give you the 50 bucks to go on a date if you need it. Hmm. But, you know, you need, if you can f- continue to focus on your sport, um, we'll make sure that you're fine. But I always yeah. was entrepreneurial. Like I sold when, you know, <laughs> in Brooklyn in the 80s, the mid 80s, Nike windbreakers were like oh, yeah. really, really hot because people were breakdancing. And <laughs> right. I used to sell those out of my car. I sold <laughs> I was really, I'm still into vitamins and lifting and working out and fitness. So I used to sell vitamins. So I always did things like that and, you know, built the clientele. So I was natural at that. And I think the other thing that really helped me at Barnum was I was always the leader, putting the teams together Mm. that weren't the formal ones, right? When you played, we used to have like a softball league in the schoolyard where each neighborhood played each other. We used to do that with football. Sure. And then after college, I put a lot of teams together that played, you know, into our mid thirties. So I felt like I had that, not only the entrepreneurship, but the leadership yeah. to bring people from different, you know, nationalities, yeah, different walks, walks of life yeah. together. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So cool. I think that's a skill that, yeah. unfortunately, yeah. our kids don't get that as much today mm. when you grow up in the burbs. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, team sports is an incredible, incredible way to teach good leadership. I've told you, so many of the CEOs that I've had, you know, on the show have, have demonstrated that early on. And, and, you know, some of their earliest lessons in leadership came from, you know, some of the sports experiences. What about you? Are there any leadership lessons you can draw back to those early sport sporting days? Yeah. So I guess, you know, one of them was what I told you was I had a high school football coach that 
knew he could grab my face mask and scream at me <laughs> and that would motivate me right right and then the other guy that played running back with me he had to coddle him more hmm, so but so he but used different it, styles yeah. yeah but it took me it took me a little later on to realize wow that's the same thing you do in business with your right. With That's your right. best performers, knowing yep. that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think management leadership's not a cookie cutter approach. Right? It's not. I yeah. think the other thing is that's really helped me tremendously from growing up in a neighborhood, or also hmm. growing up in athletics, was you know when you give your word, it's your work. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I think that's a lost art in business. Mm. Um, I I remember early in my career, we would bring someone on and it was a little informal, right? And what we found was some of the other people, that some of them had bad experiences mm. in the past. So we, mm. we obviously started doing everything with documentation. And I said, but we never changed going, you know, our word. Right. The, Right. The other the other thing Take is it. yeah the other thing I think that I learned is um, you you have to bring it and I it's another dadism I don't know do you know who uh, and I don't know if the story is exact but it's the way he told it to me do you know who Wally Pip is sure mm-hmm. so my yeah. dad always used to tell me a story like you know you you twist your knee or you're not feeling right. good today right. and he's like well you don't want to be like Wally Pip. <laughs> and I say, who the hell's Wally Pipp? And he's like, well, that's right. No one knows who he was because he, Lou Gehrig went in and the guy never played again. So right. I, you know, that was a, a lesson where, you know, every day in life you have to bring it. Yeah. And Keep yourself healthy. Be ready. Yep. Be fit. Be ready to go. Yeah. And, in sports and, and in business. And yeah. in business. So I think yeah. those were some of the, the cool things that yeah. you learn through the way. Well, you went on to St. Francis College. You know, yes. I'm assuming mom and dad didn't go to college. Dad, most likely not. Did yes. mom? And, and was it a foregone conclusion that uh, you would go on to college? Was that something that you chose? Were you encouraged to do so? No, I think I think that I don't remember internalizing it, but yeah. I just remember that that was like I don't think they really gave us a choice, but I don't think they ever said you have to go. I right. think it was right. just. It was just kind of what we did, right? Oh, it's the American way, right? Yeah. Giving you a better life and going to college was something that was important. And in and, and St. Francis, I'm assuming a, a Jesuit a Catholic college? Catholic college, okay, yes. Got it. And uh, was that kind of a natural choice for you? How did you go around or decide? No, so, so what ended up happening was, um, long story short, as I said, I was a, a football baseball player yeah, right. and the only college that would take care of me on the the baseball side and let me play football was was Wagner College in Staten okay. Island division yeah. 1 baseball division 3 football hmm. um but what ends up happening is the athletic director and the baseball coach are uh, not no longer there in June and I start in you know August and the baseball the new baseball coach says you have to play fall baseball no oh. so Hence, football career ends pretty quickly. Yeah. I end up playing at Wagner for two years, train and work out with the football team every day because, you know, on my weight program. Sure. And uh, so I couldn't handle it anymore, and that was why I ended up at St. Francis. St. Francis, yeah, great. And what was the first job you took outside of college? 
after college. Actually, this was my first uh, so, career. So you've been at Barnum the whole time? Wow. Well, well it, Met, I, MetLife originally, right? Yeah, so yeah. I started at MetLife in yeah. Brooklyn. Right. Um, and, and tell I, us about that decision. I mean, uh, insurance is a very you know interesting industry. You do a lot of recruiting in it. You know, it, it tends to be an industry where people grow up in it. Right. You know, yep. I, I know that when I work for other clients on both coasts, it was always, you know, Brant, we, we've tried to bring people in from other industries, but it just doesn't work. And, you know, you just it's, there's so much knowledge that has to come along with it. Um, was it a natural choice for you? Was it someone you met? Tell us how you, you chose yeah. this direction. So, no, it wasn't a natural choice. Um, so I graduate after going to summer school, um, still playing, you know like a semi-pro level of baseball right. and um, September rolls around and I'm not looking for a job. Mm. My mom doesn't really give me a hard time. September, October, maybe October, she starts like, <laughs> all right, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not about just working out, playing baseball yeah. and, and, yeah. and dating. So you need to like get your stuff together here, buddy. And I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. And the funny story is, I had only been to Connecticut once or twice in my life, mm. um, even though it's so close. Um, I wanted to open a franchise. And oh. one thing I learned in college was if you think about conceptually what a franchise is, is it's, it's they've taken proven strategies and tactics to be profitable. Yeah. So, and, and you actually pay for that, right? And you can still run a business. So I had no money. So I wanted to open up a subway. Hmm. And at that time, it was $89,000 in 1990 to open up a subway. There was no subways in Brooklyn. And I remember sending um, a packet out to where you went for dinner last night, Milford, Connecticut. And I got the packet and uh, contemplating that. At the same time, as I said earlier, my mom was working a bunch of jobs and she had went to Jenny Craig Weight Loss Center, <laughs> and she was never really heavy, but she wanted to lose a few pounds and had a great experience. She ended up becoming a counselor there. Wow. My dad would pick her up um, at night, and he would talk to this man who was ultra successful, but my dad mm-hmm. was, was blinded to it. He didn't even realize that. All he would be talking about was my senior year of baseball because I was, you know, at the time, so... They meet and they decide to go out to dinner. And when they go out to dinner, the guy says, what's Paul going to do now that he's graduated? And that was like, you know, dropping a lead balloon <laughs> where my my mother's like, I don't know, we're concerned. And all he cares about is X, Y, and Z. So he said, well, I, um, you know, he was, we didn't know this, but he was one of the top managers nationally for MetLife for many, many years, very decorated career. And he said, at that time, it was really just life insurance. He would do great in this business. And I remember my mom coming home and telling me that, like, I got you an interview. To his credit, we send a resume, and he sends it to a a firm down the street from him, which the guy is about 26, 27. Now, maybe he's, yeah, he's... Yeah, he's probably like five years yeah. older. So he's yeah. like 26, 27. He calls me. I go in for the interview. And what really attracted me was it was a franchise. Basically, you had to get a car and some suits. And you were in business. You had a great brand name behind you in MetLife. Yeah. Right. And um, 
it was unlimited income. It was as an athlete, what you put in, you get out. And that was attractive to me. Yeah, and uh, yeah. he was young. He asked me, you know, we always debate this. He said, where do you want to be in five years? Right. Which is a big interview question that people would ask. And I said, how long did it take you to get to that seat? Because he looked like the sharpest person there. <laughs> Certainly the best dressed. <laughs> yeah. So he said it took three years, but he made an interesting point. He said, I'm, I'm in a special program called the MET, huh. which was... Uh, for having your master's in leadership. Hmm. So I said, well, I'm not going back for my master's, but whatever I have to do, I'll do double. You yeah. tell me. Yeah. And uh, sure enough, after being pretty successful in the first year, making like their club. Um, and here's an interesting point too that I want to make sure I, I hit. At that time, this industry or that industry at that time, because we're very different today, yeah. Yeah. but they weren't hiring kids off the campus. No. They really no. wanted people that had, you know, two kids, two yeah, car well payments, and a lot of and a lot of debt, but also <laughs> had a, but also had a network. And they thought it was going to force you to work. I think that interesting. Huh. I think that's not good because yeah. I think that puts undue pressure on right, someone. Right, right. And I never felt like I had to make money. I felt like I wanted to be successful. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I do that, and then after nine months, I become like an assistant, and really it was nothing. They gave me 50 bucks a week to <laughs> go out and recruit all my friends that played Division One baseball and were athletes, right? So I started to build a team, and then uh, I got interviewed for a few offices, did not get them, hmm. and I was getting ready to get married. I had met my fiance when I first started, Right. And uh, we were going to move to Jersey and still work in Brooklyn. Yeah. And what ended up happening was the regional vice president kind of called my bluff because I was complaining that I didn't get these couple of offices. And he said, the next one's yours. And huh. sure enough, I didn't get the next one. And I won't go into the details, but um, I was pissed. And I was, yeah. a kid. I was a kid. So he said, sure. well, go interview in other regions, which I had an interview for someone, uh, re the Westchester, the Manhattan and then the Connecticut region. Connecticut, yeah. I almost went to Italy too. That was an option, and because they had a distribution arm there, huh. and I ended up getting this this opportunity to come here. The place was bankrupt. There was nine <laughs> serious. It was bad. It was nine advisors, three employees, wow. Wow. and that was that was August of ninety three. So I just completed my twenty eighth year here, and. Uh, it kind of sounds like, you know, give it to Mikey, he'll eat anything. You right? got it. G you give got it to it. Paul, he'll fix it. <laughs> yes, 100%. And, and listen, I think that they went through this, the insurance industry went through this interesting time where they had the guy that I met, his firm had like 65 people, but there was only two of them. Yeah. And the rest yeah. of the firms throughout the country were like 10 or 12. They had decentralized. Wow. And then, you know, over time it went the other way, but you know, came up here and had a vision and, you know, cared about people and created a family and a culture. And, uh, and it's just been layering, you know, 20, 30, 40% growth on top of each other year after year. Now we talked a little bit about the name. It was something that you chose, but um, yes. PT Barnum has a, has a big history in Connecticut. How did you he come does. around to, to, to naming it Barnum Financial? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I got, I get inducted, um, you, you had to be in the ro role for 
10 years. So I get inducted into the Hall of Fame at yeah. Matt. But when you're getting close, they let you name it. Um, I didn't want to name it. Um, it was it was just Matt Life. It was the right. you know the the, the Matt Life office, and uh, right. I felt like I'm the leader, but it's not my firm. It's our firm, right. and you know that's when we named it after Marnham. That's great. Yeah. And so that was after about ten years. So you operated as Met Life for that first ten years then. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And so, it, then it became Barnum Barnum yeah. Financial, an office of MetLife. Right. Right. And then you know, hence now it's just Barnum Financial. Yeah. And um, I assume this is the first time you started managing people, right? You took over that office, and yep. um, boy, that must have been kind of tough. You know, it's kind of like <laughs> picking up a team that's been in the cellar for you know a decade or two. It was. Tell us about that challenge, and what did you do? You know, did you? You have to change out the team? Did you kind of come in with a different leadership approach? How did you coach and get that get that office turned around? Tell us about yeah, that. Yeah, it was the most stressful meeting ever. Hmm. So they have like a little lunch at the Trumbull Marriott for me hmm. with the 12 people there. Average age is probably 47, 48. Here I am. Long time. Yeah. You know, I'm a kid, right? 24-year-old. Yeah, yeah. 25, I was 25, 25 so yeah. I... I walk in that room and, you know, man of a little words, just like, <laughs> I have this great vision. Let's get back to the office and get to work. I look forward to working with all of you. And then once I got here, I was in my element. Like it almost was, I need to get on the field, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and then leading. And there's one advisor still here from wow, then. He, really? he was, he was 25. <sighs> Um, so he was a kid. He came in when he was like 19. Yeah. Um, but the rest of the people, you know, were, it was bankrupt. So they yeah. weren't great producers. Right. Right. So it was, you know, you learn when you're in and hence the job you have and the role you have is you, you can recruit yourself out of anything. Right. Sure. So it was really just, you know, giving those people all the development they could get, right. but also building around them. Yeah. Right. And making, having them ultimately make their choices, but you got really it. building out that new team. Yeah. Wow. Incredible. And, and, you know, going along with that, of course, is building a culture. Now there was a MetLife culture there before. Um, did you kind of carry that over? I mean, you hadn't worked for the company that long. How did you kind of instill and, and what is kind of the, you know, unusual or uniqueness about Barnum Financial today from a cultural standpoint? Yeah. So the first thing, um, you know, as I started to say earlier, I, I started with, with Matt in March and I met my wife in January yeah, yeah. prior to that. And she's like, would you take this test and get this role already? And we were just dating for a couple of months. And so when we get up here together, she took a big shot moving mm. to a state where oh she my. didn't know anyone. We were going to move to where all her friends lived. Now, she was from New Jersey or she was, she from, was from Brooklyn? She was from Brooklyn as well. Everyone in Brooklyn, what ends up happening is you if you if you're doing pretty good, you skip Staten Island and go to Jersey where the trees are, right? <laughs> so, everyone that we knew that was doing well was in Jersey I and know, all yeah, this these yeah. three towns, so we were moving there and we took a chance coming up here, wow. but when we get here, you know, together we created a family environment first yeah, off. Yeah. Uh, I and remember. Did you live in, the office was in Trumbull, I think, originally. Did you live in Trumbull? The office is in Trumbull, and we lived in Shelton. 
In Shelton, okay. Yeah, yeah that's, so that's we fine. spent we ended up spending 17 years in Shelton. We live in Fairfield now, yeah, but yeah. Um, I remember her asking, you know, remember it's almost Labor Day. Uh, what do you guys do for the holidays? And they're like, nothing. You know, the guy brings in maybe a sandwich, and we're like, well, we're going to have a holiday party, right? And we brought in lunch that day, and we just really cared. Yeah, and yeah. I think that, you know, showing the people that we cared it created this culture and then right. you know um we ended up doubling the amount of business in the first like 18 months wow. and we set a different now that was a low base right paul yeah very low base. <laughs> very low still base. impressive <laughs> yeah but but you know what it, it was an industry at that time where people didn't think big yeah right yeah, exactly. so yeah. we yeah. were we were really thinking bigger Right. And, but and that motivates folks, you know, you do something did. like that. Yeah. And I think what ends up happening is a lot of people in life um, label themselves. Mm. And they, I remember early career writing an article in, at the time it used to be called the Barn and Blaze, and writing an article about the four minute mile. And Ken Bannister was the first one to do it. Yeah. And I forget what year he did it, but he broke it. They said no one could ever do it. And then it was like 39 people did it in the next yeah, 12 that's months. Right. That's right. Yeah. Right. That's so yeah, we yeah. we really believe that there's so much that we can do if you want to. Right. And so one of the things that, you know, a really good leadership lesson we've learned is we have aggressive objectives for ourselves mm. and where we're going. But that doesn't mean that every advisor or every employee should have those two. We have to understand their vision right. and get them to their. It's not our problem yeah. if someone comes in this career and wants X. Well, we have to be respectful of that and let them be the best at X. Right. And right. That's, a, that's a hard skill. And that's like in sports, that's your role player, right? That's right, yeah. So I think those were some of the things we did early on. Mm. And... Uh, I think we really changed. I think one one thing that really like grew was the was the catalyst early on to our growth was looking around the industry and seeing what my competitors were doing, especially mm. in my market, right? And they were putting resources like estate planning attorneys in the firm, for example. Mm. And, and we didn't have the money to do that. No. So at that time, I thought about the industry and what was really lacking. And it's an industry where you could have all the credentials, like your CFP. And right. we have advisors now that have six to ten designations. You could be really smart. You can care. You could be articulate. But if you're not in front of a client, really, you're not going to be successful. <laughs> that's right. That's it's right. pretty simple, right? It's yeah. like any any <laughs> career that's in sales so I really, uh, I really thought about it, and as I look at the, I'm, I'm, I'm very advanced in my thinking, but very basic. And mm. I think if you have the basics, then you can pile on top of that. You have to understand that. So, this is an industry, or any sales industry, is where you either can see more people, or right. you can, or you can sell bigger amounts, right? Yeah. yeah. So I just coined a phrase that matched that. We're going to become a marketing firm that does financial planning. Mm. And 
financial planning was so critical in the late 90s. No one was doing that in our industry where you're marrying, right. you know, the Glass-Steagall Act was passed where it said that banks can go in and wirehouses and insurance companies right. could all do what the opposites did, right? Yeah, that's right. So we really started on the asset journey and we really have two buckets. We have protection, the protection side, which is all your insurances, all insurance, yeah. and then the investment side, which is all your asset stuff. And then we married that together with financial planning. Mm. So recruiting became less hard where we yeah. were saying, you don't have to just be on the insurance side, right. or you don't have to right. just be on the investment side, but also for our clients. And then the whole phrase thing of a marketing firm, when I fast forward today, I would ask someone, I would say to you, Brent, what are the three things you need to grow your business? And let's say you were coming from another firm and they would always say, if I can get in front of more people. Yeah, the more seasoned right. people yeah. would say if I could get in front of more qualified people. Yeah, right. And so over the years, we weren't at this number today, but now we put over a million opportunities a year in front of our FAs. Wow, fantastic. And yeah. that's a big deal. So that and, was- and how big, big are you thing. today? How many offices? How many people? What do you manage? Um, we have- about 16 offices. Wow. We have um, 330 plus advisors. And you operate in every state? Every, all 50 yeah, states. Yeah, yeah. And, and then we have between the advisors, staff, and our staff, about another 300 employees. Wow. Wow. And, and do you kind of divide and conquer along those lines? In other words, are there insurance folks and financial yes. advisors? Right. Right. Yeah, so there over. there's many advisors that are hybrids. Right. But there are a lot of teams. Core. So yeah. about mm. 45% of our advisors are on teams where right. they have all the disciplines. But the other thing that we've built here is if you think about um, back to sports again, sports have become a spe very specialized. Right. So in baseball, you have a lefty pitcher come in for one out. Yeah. Right. So we've done that at Barnum mm. where we have people that specialize in, you know, products or uh, marketing or training. Right. And so I think that's been a big differentiator yeah. for us, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's so interesting you say that because I, in, in my business, it's pretty much the same as well. We consider ourselves a marketing firm first and a staff recruiting, executive recruiting second, because many of our companies are middle market. And, you know, Barnum Financial's got a great name in Connecticut. A lot of folks know you, but I'm sure California, right? You know, you're, you're just like, you know, anyone else that could potentially be operating there. And, and what we do for our clients is, of course, go deep dive and really understand who they are and what they're looking for. But it's about communicating who that company and who that culture is Correct. and attracting people, right? I mean, you, I'm sure you find the same thing. It's attracting people to the service offering that you have that, that really is the key that does draw the leads, as you mentioned. Gosh, a million. That's amazing in terms of what you put in front of folks. Yeah, you, you, and God, no. Yeah. Well, I was just going to ask about your leadership. So, you know, 30 years from, from the speaker beginnings of, you know, really kind of coming in with the, with the team that had been in the bottom of the standings forever. Um, and, and today with the amount of success you've had, if you had to just kind of draw the two or three leadership lessons that you've taken during that period of time, Paul, what would those be? Um, I guess the first one would be um, your people. They're the most important thing. So yeah. 
are FAs and our financial advisors, I shouldn't use that slang, and my staff are by far the most important thing that we focus on every day. And Mm. we're just trying to make the environment and their lives easier and better. And we, and we really cherish them. They make Barnum, right? right? The second thing is, and there's a bunch of things, but I would say that, um, I, I would be the hardest worker in the room. So mm-hmm. there's nothing that I can ask my staff to do that I'm not yeah. willing to do. do. Yeah, right. Um, so I think that that is, um, and then obviously you can layer on, you know, having a vision, um, learning about the industry, you know, looking at other industries. Um, we've become a technology firm. Right. So I think that, you know, doing things that our industry is not doing, but we are, will differentiate you, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What, you know, you, you talk about people being number one and it's just so important, of course, in, in, in the people business that you are, what, what, what do you look for when you're, you know, making bets on the people you invest in and hire? Yeah. So, um, first they have to be smart. Hmm. They have to be good people. Integrity is important in this business. So important. Um, do you do credit checks and stuff? I mean, how, you know, how do you get yeah. that? that? Cuz it's so so easy to misrepresent that unfortunately. You know, we We do we do all of those things. Yeah. We do so many things. In fact, on our advisors coming on board before they even get on board after they're getting through their licenses and everything with the with the veterans or the people that are married, we do right. spousal interviews as well. Cool. Yes, and yeah. for the kids that are coming off the campus that are not married, we're meeting with the parents. Wow. And then they also go to a, a, through a selection process where it's a group interview after, at the end with five people. Wow. Um, so we try to do our best, and obviously you make mistakes, but right. we try to get off those risks as fast as we can. Yep. Um, but I also think that it's important that you give them the right expectations when they get here and you tell them what it takes to be successful, yeah. and then you continue to help develop them. Yeah, 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 fantastic. You know, you're, you're such a rare breed, Paul. I mean, uh, today, to find someone who's literally been with the same company for his entire career is very rare. Yes. And, and you know, it's honorable, and, and, and I love you. it. I, I love to hear about it. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of folks out there that will say, oh, well, you know, it hurt my earning power, et cetera, et cetera. What, what do you think has really been the key for you that's just kept you at it for as long as you've had? I'm, I'm sure there's been other opportunities, right? There's been other people that, guys like me, right, that probably would have tried, yep. tried to pull you away and, and send you elsewhere. What, what, what is it that kept you there? You know, I think that um, another dadism and, hmm. you know, my wife just continues to uh, stay on this and she believes the same thing that he taught me. He would say, remember, you only is don't if the minute you stop believing your own press clippings, it's over. <laughs> That's true. Right. Humility. And, and, yeah. and yes. And she'll say, I help you with that. Um, you know, <laughs> right. But keeps you humble. Right? Yeah. Mindy's half joking, but when it's all said and done, I think, I think, just understanding. So when I get in the car each day and drive to the office or yeah. I go into my office at home now, right. um, I think that 
I've never changed the philosophy of, you know, Paul, you hired by ABC consulting firm to look at Barnum each day. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the day, I say, did I earn my keep? So what I'm trying to do each day is making the place better. Mm. And, you know, someone told me this years ago, they said, the grass is green away, you water it. <laughs> so true. Right? Yeah. And I, I do, you know, I do feel that, and obviously there's probably some reasons that it does make sense, but I feel the young, the younger generation today, they bounce around a little mm. bit too much. And I think if you're good at communicating and the company that you're with, you know, understands where you want to go and your value and you communicate that to them if they're not, I think you can usually work through a lot of those things. Yeah. But I don't think people do that, um, unfortunately. I have two. I have a 24-year-old daughter that's in the business. She's an advisor Mm. on one of our teams in Westchester. Right. And I have another daughter that just uh, is 22 that just took our first career in the uh, fi- uh, fashion industry. Huh. But they got the same values. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I have a son that's in college right now. He's a sophomore at Fairfield U, but I'm pretty certain he'll come into the business here, yeah. too, as an yeah. advisor. But they understand that. And right. so um, I hope that people do change with that, especially now. Right. It's the what are they calling it? The great resignation (laughs) where (laughs) I think it's the great opportunity. Um, I we've been able to find some amazing talent on both the staff and the and the advisor time right now. And the minute companies let their guard down and don't treat people well is when they do leave. And that and I guess that's just right. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Well, Paul, we're almost at the end of our podcast here. Thank you so much for your time. But we always have one last question we ask everyone. And, you know, that kind of what career and life advice would you give to someone that maybe has their eyes on the corner office in their current company or maybe thinks someday they may be able to go and found something like yourself? You know, what would you tell them in terms of uh, how to evaluate that and, you know, what to do next? Um, It's interesting. So, you know, as a as a kid, we talked about, you know, you brought up stickball, right? Yeah. If you think about playing stickball or wiffle ball, you know, if you got up at the plate and you're a kid and it's always the bottom of the ninth, there's <laughs> always there's always two outs. Bases are, if I say this, most adults that <laughs> played any baseball will continue to f- fill my things, right? It's bases loaded. Yep. It's you're down by three runs. It's the bottom <laughs> of the nine. night. It's two, two outs. outs, right? <laughs> What's the count? It's three and two. <laughs> and, you know, I could see myself. I have my arm up right now like I'm ready to swing. And you hit it over the fence. You throw your helmet. You round the bases. Mm. You know, everyone piles on you. And you just won the World Series. And I think I would call that dreaming big, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think what happens is when we're kids – we all do that as yeah. we become adults people forget why they went into mm. the business or why they what their goals were so my biggest thing i would say is i believe you can have anything you want if you put your mind to it right yeah. back to everyone puts their pants on the same way That's now right. yeah. you might have to take a different path or veer a different way you might not be able to go the same way i went cuz times are different right but i do believe that um, if you continue to dream big and then you have execution yeah. behind it, um, everything, anything is possible. 
And unfortunately, I think people label themselves and they get labeled Mm. and they forget why they, you know, what they're trying to do from a career standpoint, even with their children and their wives. And I think we find ourselves getting into ruts where you have to get better every day in all aspects of life. Yeah. And work with what you got. I love it. Yes. (laughs) So. <laughs> well, Paul Blanco, founder and CEO at Barnum Financial Group, thank you so very much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Same here. Thanks, Brant. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.go4roi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.